you can fix so much in bad visuals with the right audio. But when you're a podcast, you got nothing but the audio. And the only thing that the audience has is what they're listening to and what they're creating in their mind. And if what they're listening to suddenly is terrible, like the mental image is shattered. So if you're listening to this amazing, wonderful, kind of scripted narrative show, and it's getting really deep, and then all of a sudden, like, come on down to Taco Bell for fourth meal, then your world just explodes. And there's no, you can't make that transition. And it's even more jarring. So absolutely, I think with audio, you have to be super careful to make sure that the experience is a good one because you only have that one thread. This is the Sonic Truth. The Sonic Truth is brought to you by Veritonic, the audio intelligence platform empowering marketers to understand and quantify the most effective ways of using sound. The Sonic Truth is also brought to you by Advertising Week 360, showing you what's next and powered by the best and the brightest in the creative industries. On each episode, we welcome leaders in marketing and media who bring diverse insight into how sound is transforming business and reshaping our world. And today, it's Stitcher, the company who is a leader in streaming radio, delivering the latest news, politics, sports, business, and entertainment on demand to its over 5 million mobile listeners. Today, in the studio, we have Stitcher's CEO, Eric Dean, here to talk about how Stitcher has risen to the foreground of podcast distribution and how its advertising arm, Midroll, is helping brands reach consumers in unique and effective ways. Now, I'll pass it over to our host, Scott Simonelli, who's the CEO of Veritonic. And welcome again to The Sonic Truth. Eric, tell us, tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Eric Dean. I'm the CEO of Stitcher. Okay, so how did you, how did you get to this role? How did you get to this place? Well, when I was 12, back in the, uh, in the 80s, I knew that the internet was going to arrive and that radio was going to move to the internet. And I kind of I, I charted out a course to end up as a CEO of a podcast company. <laughs> you know, like, like any other career, it just happens in a lot of ways. Uh, you can't foresee what's going to happen in an industry or with a world. And in a lot of instances, it's just kind of being in the right place at the right time. At the same time, um, I, I think clearly... Uh, it dovetails with a lot of interests and a lot of experience that I've had in the past. I went to journalism school as an undergrad, and that was in the in the mid-90s. And the logical next step from that was to be a software engineer at a startup. Uh, so I had already kind of taken a jump off course after school, uh, but arrived in New York in the late 90s uh, and worked as an engineer. Just gradually ended up at, a, at Marvel Comics. Uh, uh, post-bankruptcy, pre-Disney. And that's where I first started moving from technology, from the engineering side, into managing the business. From there, took a side detour over to MTV for a year to work on their ahead-of-its-time digital music service, Urge, which was effectively Spotify, but there were no smartphones. The writing was kind of on the wall when uh, Windows decided they were going to create Zune, and then the i you know the iPhone came out, and all sorts of things changed. Uh, went to business school, went to BCG for a couple of years. I did a pro bono project for WNYC. Really loved the place and loved uh, the people that I worked with, and thought this is a cool place. I wish I could work here, um, but I just started as a management consultant, so that's not going to happen. One of the things we did is we we developed uh, some revenue growth strategies for them, and suggested that perhaps they hire somebody full time to handle business development 
And uh, four years later, <laughs> they drafted that job and they decided to hire. And right at that moment, I was at Bloomberg and um, the job uh, popped up and I got back in touch with them. And several months later, I ended up going to work there. And as I arrived, the first thing I did, um, I was handed Freakonomics. Uh, they were in the middle of a renewal on Freakonomics, trying to figure out how to grow the show, what to do with it. And then on the side, they'd been making this podcast, but they couldn't figure out that like, it was losing money. Like it, it was like, what do we do with this thing? And I looked at it and I looked at the download numbers and I thought, wait a second, there is, there is something going on here. And that was in 2014. And even at that point, that show was a tremendous success digitally. And we started making a few changes here and there, changing the ad model, changing the way that we sold ads and even recorded ads and the, the formats and the restrictions. And uh, podcast revenue started taking off. And that was you know a bunch of people at WMIC working on that. But all of a sudden, podcasts became a significant source of revenue. We, uh, we started launching some new shows. Podcasts were suddenly this really interesting uh, phenomenon going on in public media. And uh, I ended up meeting Jeff Ulrich, who had founded Earwolf and Midroll, and talking to him and really getting along with him. And uh, in 2014, he came to me and said, hey, look, I'm stepping down from the CEO role. Um, I'm you know, promoting my COO, Adam, into that role, but I want to hire somebody in New York to take over content acquisition and start a New York office. You want to come work for me? And, um, and it was an amazing opportunity. I, <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was going to throw up for like a week after I quit because here's this startup. It's does anybody really work there? It's podcast. Is this going to be this thing? And uh, it turned out, obviously, to be an amazing experience. Um, so I, I started uh, just working with podcasts, trying to acquire shows from Midwell to sell, develop new shows for Earwolf, help us branch out into non-comedy eventually. Uh, we were acquired by Scripps a year later. And then uh, uh, shortly after that, uh, we acquired Stitcher. Uh, and then I became CEO. And then uh, last year, we changed the name of the company. We did what I call brand rotation. We were Midroll, and beneath Midroll was Midroll and Stitcher and Earwolf. And we wanted to lead with a brand that was consumer-facing, that people recognized, that really represented the full scope of everything that we did. And rather than scrap it all and call ourselves Tronk or something like that, we decided, um, let's go with a brand that the podcasters and people know that really, uh, I think, has a, a neutral connotation in the sense that it's not like an ad brand. It's not this brand. It's just, it's a place for podcasts. And let's lead with that and let's be Stitcher. And Midroll is still our sales arm. It is our, our sales organization uh, and still really uh, a, a big part of what we do. Earwolf is still purely our comedy brand. And in that rebranding, we've been able to I think, rebuild Earwolf and grow Earwolf in a way that we couldn't before because it is now so focused on comedy. And then we've expanded into non-comedy under Stitcher as a brand. Uh, and obviously the Stitcher app and the Stitcher experience and Stitcher platform we've been investing in and growing for the past couple of years. So that's who we are today. Great. And that's a great backstory. And you know, what, what is your kind of take on where we are in this in this game? Or is it, it's obviously still early. The question is, you know, how early and where do you see it going in the next four years? Because it seems like four years is, a, is an eternity, um, you know, in this world. Yeah, it's this almost point. almost five years at yeah, this point. Yeah. Uh, so, like in the next four to five years, what, you know, what 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 direction do you kind of see coming down the pipe from from your your seat? In some sense, there's all sorts of new stuff. Like it's like oh, podcasting is a new thing, but the reality is that the big shows and the institutions have been around for a long time. 
and yet continue to grow and get stronger um, over time. And I think um, looking forward, on the one hand, it is great to see all of the new energy. It's great to see people like Conan O'Brien coming in and Oprah and Dr. Phil and Dax Shepard and other big names coming into the space and creating shows and obviously bringing their audiences along with them. It's great to see the New York Times finally figure out the formula for a daily news podcast and then others come after them, whether it's us with Vox and Today Explained or the Washington Post or others. Um, so there's all this new stuff. And yet at the same time, it's not like that new stuff replaced the great shows that were already there. I think that speaks to the fact that the audience itself has has grown so much that we can add all of these new shows and add all this new listening without killing a lot of what came before. Right. That's that's a, a great point. And I think, you know, the question there is like, you know, so he's like, well, these things were foundational, right? Bill Simmons has an audience. Mark Maron has an audience. Um, they have fantastic content. And they have people who are familiar with that content like you. Right. You, In some ways, they've had subscribers before people were thinking about subscribers in, right. in, in that uh, literal sense of the word. Um, you know, how much of it is is the content versus the awareness? Like if, if you were to launch another podcast today, now there's a lot. It's obviously not a zero-sum game. I mean, right. you look at the internet, right? And so it's like, you know, if someone had one website, you wouldn't you could launch a hundred like it and still right. Right. <laughs> and now, still exist. Like there, you're, you know, there are a yeah. finite number of minutes, right? right? There are only so many attention minutes that we all have. And while uh, the great thing about podcasting is it has, I think, created media minutes that did not previously exist hmm. um, because you can listen to a podcast while you're doing laundry or cooking or driving. And some of those minutes were occupied by radio or they were occupied by music and we are shifting some of that. But I think we are also creating new minutes and with people who were not listening before. Hmm. I think part of the explosion of content, um, especially shows that appeal to demographics that never had traction on terrestrial talk radio, or at least hadn't for the last 10, 15, 20 years, um, speaks to the fact that there are people who are interested in spoken word content. They're interested in listening to conversations or to comedy or to just, uh, you know, amazing documentaries. Like true crime, think about true crime, did not exist as a spoken word genre right. until a few years ago. And now it is massive. And there was always an interest in the subject Right. Clearly, people read the novels and they saw the films and they watched TV shows. But it turned out that podcasting was a great place for that genre. But because nobody in terrestrial radio would have put on a true crime show in any sense of the word 10, 15 years ago, no one was listening. It turns out if you had created that, you probably would have had people listen. But the economics and dynamics of terrestrial radio are very different than podcasting in the same way that yeah, Netflix is different than local broadcast television. So, um, We've added all of these new audiences and we've added all of these new listeners and uh, it is not zero sum, but there is definitely, like there is, there is some shifting going on. Right. And I think it is harder to launch a new show because there are so many. On the other hand, there are so many routes to do so and so many people who now know how to market a show and how to bring a show into the marketplace and find an audience. And whether it's people like us or Wondery or, uh, you know, even now something like Luminary, right? There are lots of Lots of professional companies, distributors, platforms that are focused on the space. And I think part of the growth is because we are helping surface that content. Platforms like Stitcher and Spotify and Pandora are helping with discovery. We got to get better at all those things. But we are still at a point where we can add new shows and it is not necessarily going to destroy listening elsewhere. Maybe that'll change at some point, but it feels like we haven't hit that point yet. Right. Uh, and that's exciting. And, that, and then, you know, kind of circling back to the, my earlier question, like, that would argue that, you know, we're still really early in this, and I think there's a, 
you know, it's one of those things that how it kind of shakes out will be wide open. We're in that that transition away from the early days, Wild West. I mean, in the early days, there was nothing. There were no standards. There was, it was just like crazy town. Um, we're past that. And now we're at the point where there's investment in infrastructure because people can see the return in that. Nobody would have built out a podcast ad platform five years ago because it's like there's no money in podcasting. <laughs> Today, that is clearly not the case. So you start to see investment and M&A. Now, over time, do you end up at a, at a point in podcasting where the platforms are such a critical piece of the component that it becomes Netflix-like and the brand starts to, the network brand starts to dissolve? I don't know. I mean, I don't, you look at Netflix and I couldn't tell you which show came from the BBC and which came from the CBC and which one was done by a studio because it's all just Netflix. Right. And that is the power of Netflix and that is by design. Um, and in a world of Netflix where Netflix is creating a network for one person, and that's you, the individual viewer, that branding may not matter as much. On the other hand, now I feel like I look at Netflix and it is, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm channel surfing again. So maybe all of a sudden, like Conan O'Brien's brand matters a lot because I see that he's hosting a show. I'm like, oh, I love Team Coco. I'm going to go watch that. I don't know. So it's always a, a pendulum going back and forth. Um, but there's, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, whether it's USA, HBO, et cetera, there is something in that, like, let's let's create a brand that means something that is built around the content that we have and that consumers can use as a quick reference point for. I'm going to try something from these folks because I like it. Right. Now, you mentioned the, the channel surfing thing, and I think there's there's so much content now, like on Netflix, for example, that you don't even know what to watch. It's overwhelming. Just the Netflix originals, there's so many, um, specifically around um, audio creative. So obviously, there's a lot of advertising that's happening here. Um, you know, How does data play into how you use advertising and audio creative? Um, and maybe how do you feel that you do that versus other companies that, that's unique to you? Right. Do you guys do something in the space? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta wove it in there. Um, look, uh, logfile. That is that is like the perfect analogy. I, know, I, I do remember a little time. side story. Like yeah, I remember somebody looking me <clears throat> straight in the face in 2002, saying we would never, ever use a third-party analytics provider right. or have our data live outside and yeah. our website. And it's just like <laughs> literally the other way. But anyway, um, I I think step one in all that is to to at least agree how we're going to uh, process those logged files, so to speak, which is something that I think never happened on the display side early on. Um, or, you know, it did, but um, we, as an industry at least, have reached a point where we know how to process all of that server-side consumption data and report on it in a consistent way. And IAB standards and other things have, have pushed us in that direction. It's not perfect, and there's still some disagreement, but we are a long way from where we were um, three, four years ago. So generally as a buyer, if you're talking to one of the major podcast brands or sellers or publishers and they're giving you download numbers and um, they're telling you how big a show is, you, you can have much more confidence that that information is accurate or at least consistent with the way that everybody else is measuring things. Um, yeah, we don't know at this point, we can't report out how many of those downloads are definitely listens. I can tell you anecdotally, based on Stitcher data and Apple data and other places, yeah, there's there's some inefficiency, but it's certainly directionally pretty close. And uh, it's gotten to the point where it's tested against direct response attribution models, and it's all it's all kind of in the right ballpark, so to speak. Um, to go a step beyond that, though, especially as we start to get into more targeted sales and advertising, 
If you are uh, an auto dealership group in the Northeast and you want to run a special around President's Day and you're trying to reach a really specific group of people, it is harder to do that in podcasting. And um, by the time you start slicing up the audience on the platforms where you can actually do that, it's still not quite at the scale where it needs to be. But we're pretty close. And again, that's one of the jobs of platforms is to deliver that type of experience. Right. I mean, you're probably going to have a different mix of ads. It's not always going to be like Bill Simmons is not going to read the spot for Joe's auto dealership in uh, in Northeast Oklahoma. But uh, I'll bet that auto dealership could benefit from having a well done spot that is somewhere on a ringer podcast. And what we have to close is the gap between those two things and make it possible for those things to coexist and ideally even be complementary. So if that auto dealership is a Nissan dealership, um, where are those Nissan brand dollars going into Simmons' show to have him talk about Nissan or whatever it is? I don't even know if he likes Nissan. <laughs> um, while at the same time, you've got the local dealership coming in in a targeted way following up and making sure that if somebody is listening saying, yeah, I do need a new car, okay. Uh, we're so far from that, or maybe not so far, we're, far, we're not there yet. And um, data, platform capabilities, all that is going to be important in that. Um, however, and I know this is something you guys are working on, we have to think carefully about the creative when it is not a host-read spot and make sure that if you are listening to that, that Nissan dealership in Northeast Oklahoma, that it still sounds pretty good. That right. It still sounds like, oh, I'm listening to The Ringer and that ad wasn't any of the hosts on The Ringer, but it fit right in. And... Um, if we do that, then the audience won't rebel. They'll continue paying attention. Uh, they will feel like those local advertisers or those targeted advertisers or those pre-recorded spots support the show in the same way that the host rate spot does. And I, I think we'll maintain the same quality here. And that will just be enormous for advertisers. If we can't do that, if it's like, come on down and buy the Nissan, you know, then uh, yikes, right? Uh, and the next year is going to be a careful one. And for that, I think having good data about how people respond and how people um, actually interact with ads and what they like and what they don't like is going to become increasingly important, especially when we have to go to agencies who may have their, their own ideas about what they want to do. Say, look, I know you want to record the spot this way, but let us show you some stuff. And this is going to be a lot more effective. Do you feel like that's an audio thing? Because, I mean, obviously, it's the tremendous power in audio and its yeah. ability to generate emotions more quickly, more powerfully. It's more intimate, especially if you have headphones on. Um, it's obviously higher recall. So that with that sensitivity, um, you know, do you think it's it's likely to have more effective creative, but also more likely to go the other way in that it's so sensitive that, that the creative matters a lot? Yeah. Uh, there was a brief period when I wanted to be a filmmaker and- uh, I was making short films and I was taking classes and I remember taking an editing class and the instructor's like, you can have like the worst visuals in the world. You can have just terrible uh, out of focus crud and you can have like shots that are like you can have uh, <laughs> continuity that's broken left and right. You can do so much and cheat it with really good sound. Like if you have gone out and you have edited your sound well and you have done great dialogue and you got great foley and uh, you, know, you figured out like the track, like you can fix so much in bad visuals with the right audio. But when you're a podcast, you got nothing but the audio. And the only thing that the audience has is what they're listening to and what they're creating in their mind. And if what they're listening to suddenly is terrible, like the mental image is shattered. So if you're listening to this amazing 
wonderful kind of scripted narrative show and it's getting really deep and then all of a sudden like come on down to taco bell for fourth meal then your world just explodes and there's no you can't make that transition and it's even more jarring so absolutely i think with audio you have to be super careful to make sure that the experience is a good one because you only have that one thread right so what's what's the like uh a great example, like of just a piece of audio creative. Do you feel like if we if we were to reference an example for this podcast of like somebody who just hit it out of the park, you know, what's what's a good example? Uh, there's an amazing ad that I like to share. I mean, there's there's a couple of of variations. One is there's a um, <laughs> there's a Bill Simmons spot of him talking about Dunkin' Donuts that is just amazing because I cannot tell where the ad begins and ends, but I know there was an ad there because he's clearly. Talking he loves about Dunkin it as Donuts a sponsor, <laughs> but it just, he rolls right in and then he rolls right out and it's like a minute and a half long and it's all about his experience growing up, you know, and uh, about his, his love for Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm like, man, like you can't, nobody skipped that. Nobody skipped that because they were just listening to the show and I guarantee you people ended that thinking about Dunkin' Donuts. Um, at the same time, there's another spot, uh, a show that we uh, produced called The Sporkful. Um, he did an ad for Tile. Uh, the little thing that you use to find your keys. And it has nothing to do with food, right? The, the ad has nothing to do with the show. But the creative is so well done because he takes, he's got a he's got a couple of kids and he gives his very young daughter his wallet and he's like, go hide this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he records the whole thing and he records her going and hiding the wallet. And then he uses tile and he, you hear it in the distance and he goes and he finds it. And so there's that tile sound that you hear and it's such a recognizable audio signature and again it has nothing to do with food necessarily but it's him and it's like it's so in touch with his personality and it's such a compelling spot and it does you're like oh what a what a great ad right no that's great and so on the other what's the inverse right what are the what are the common you mentioned the come on down you know abrasive yeah. shouting there's the, i mean you yeah. got to pay attention to levels you got to make sure you're not jumping around um i think uh People um, maybe jump into ads too quickly. They'll do a pre-roll that's pre-recorded. If you have like two minutes of stuff before the show starts, you're going to start having a lot of people drop off. And especially if that stuff is not relevant. And um, uh, you got to be really careful about that. I think um, if you are trying to compete with your talent and trying to be funny, trying to be clever, and you're doing that uh, on Comedy Bang Bang or Conan O'Brien, like you're going to lose. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, copywriter, but <laughs> you're probably not going to match what's happening on the show. So either you need to to use that host red spot and outsource it or uh, figure out a way to live alongside that without trying to overdo it. And um, I think uh, you know that's a tough balance to strike, but remember that you want the show to shine. You don't want to try and uh, be a distraction from that. All right, so one last one, last one question for you. So... Um, I guess there's so much change, right? There's so much change, change just at Stitcher, Midroll, Earwolf, everything happening here, uh, I guess under the umbrella of scripts. And there's certainly no shortage of news. I, I don't know what we're going to read tomorrow um, about about podcasts and just audio in general. I mean, audio um, is having a moment just yeah. you know, with smart speakers and everything else. Um, what makes, you know, if you could kind of sum up what makes Stitcher you know, what's, what's the differentiator? What are the things that in, in a minute or two you could say that these are the things that stand out about Stitcher that's that's different from everything else? It's all this noise that's happening. Right. You know, everybody's got their reason to be here. 
What what is it for you? The foundational component is our our podcast first approach. Uh, we are we just do podcasts. We don't we don't do anything else. We're not a music service. Uh, we're not a satellite radio company. We don't have terrestrial radio stations. Uh, we're not making audiobooks. Uh, we, uh, you know, we don't sell phones. Like we, <laughs> we make podcasts. We put ads on them. Uh, we distribute them to people, and we understand and we love the medium. And that type of knowledge really permeates the entire institution. Whether you are dealing with a customer support person on Stitcher or um, uh, a salesperson for Midroll. Everybody here deeply understands this medium and understands what's special and unique and engaging about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's uh, exciting to see where this goes, and, and we'll catch up in about four years when everything's <laughs> completely different. Right. We'll all be working for And well, we all have a third year somehow. <laughs> yeah.